0: All right, good morning, good morning. Glad to have you here in the East Auditorium as you find your seats. Good morning and welcome as well to those of you in the West Auditorium. And of course, for those of you joining online this morning, welcome to Christ Church, church about lifting lives, elevating Christ to church. For those who aren't here yet, I'm Pastor Andrew, and I'm glad that you're here now, joining us on site, joining us online this morning. Uh, Thanks for being part of our community, being part of what it means to worship here as a church body. We are uh, in a sermon series Called AKA God, also known as God. And we uh, started it last week. This is week two. It's going to be taking us up and through our Christmas season. And that is because it is Christmas time. You guys probably noticed this by now. Hopefully, you've already seen that Christmas is here. It is like the full swing. The lights are out, the trees are up. You're seeing, I mean, we've even gotten snow recently. I don't know that anyone's managed to make a snowman stick yet, but it's Christmas time. And in the Christian church, Christmas time is a unique season for us. It's rather important for those of us who ascribe to a Christian faith or a Christian faith tradition. The historic terminology that Christians have used to help describe this season of Christmas is Advent, the weeks leading up to it, as we anticipate rejoining and reconnecting with the biblical story and the Christmas story itself. This season of Advent is a time of waiting, of anticipation, of preparation as we get closer and closer to that Christmas Eve experience. And so we're doing that as a church. We're getting closer and closer to Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, and we're preparing our hearts by becoming once again familiar with some biblical or Bible-oriented Christmas texts parts of the Bible that really ground us in the Christmas tradition and Christmas season. To help us do that, we are focusing on one primary text over these weeks, and it's actually one not from the New Testament or the life and the story of Jesus himself, but in fact one that forecasted, one that anticipated the arrival of Jesus and the experience of Christmas Eve. It comes to us from the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, and it's referred to in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is one of those Old Testament prophets who had a lot of things to say, he spoke for God, to the people of God, and in doing that, he helped navigate a relationship between God and God's people, and he said these specific words that echoed significantly into the future. Maybe you've heard them before. If you've been around Christ Church last week, you'd always catch up, go online and watch if you missed last week, but this, this is the verse. These are what we're tracking with over these couple weeks. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are significant they help us know and understand really who God is. These are names and titles. We talked about this a little bit last week, and names and titles hold significance for us both personally as well as in a sense of understanding who God is. These names and titles of God, a.k.a. God, help us relate to and understand His character, uh, His purposes, and uh, His power. All of these things help us know and relate to to the person of God. We even see that mighty God. Now, the idea and the understanding, the reality or let's say even the belief that there is a God out there is not new to the world and the Christian narrative. I mean certainly even across time and space people since really the beginning regardless of culture regardless of geography regardless of language and really throughout the entirety of time itself people have seemed to be teasing with this idea this understanding that there is a supernatural being a God something or someone bigger and greater than ourselves as humanity It seems that, for whatever reason, there is a natural inclination for us as human beings to try to make sense of this complex and dynamic spiritual world that we are a part of, that spiritual realities crisscross and intersect with our everyday, and in an attempt to understand that, in an attempt to relate to that, we have sought to better understand and relate to a supernatural being, a God or God's. This is true today, yesterday, and if I were to place a bet, it will be true tomorrow. That people seem to have a natural curiosity in seeking to understand and relate to something bigger and greater than themselves. Specifically, with a spiritual backdrop and lens. Now, I realize that people vary wildly in how open they are to this idea. I realize that people significantly, wildly vary in how they approach God and the idea of God and can I believe in God. There is varied understandings and confidence and belief systems. This is all true. But I think it's still fair to say that regardless, there is some sort of innate natural disposition that everyone seems to carry. I mean, even if there are some of us who might struggle with saying, yes, I believe in a supernatural God, I believe in a supernatural being, I think it's fair that we can all at least agree on the words of the significant uh, role model and mentor of many people, Michael Scott from The Office. I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. Just about everybody is at least in some small way a little stitious. The Bible would actually even talk about this. It would write in the book of Ecclesiastes how the eternity is written and placed on the hearts of humankind. And if we look at the evidence of the world, the fact that across time and space and culture and language and everything we just mentioned, that this seems to be a continuous pursuit of people to know and understand and make sense of a supernatural being, this is a pretty safe statement. In fact... One of the ways in which we see and experience the presence of God, the workings of God, one of the ways in which we seem to understand that there is a sense of God out there, one of the most profound places is in nature itself. It's when we step back and we look at the larger created world. This is a common thing that when I sit with people, I get to hear about that they experienced God when they were at a state park or when they went to some amazing, incredible environment and they really got a sense of a supernatural God working and behind all of these things whether it's staring out at Lake Michigan and seeing the fierceness of the waves and the wind that gives a sense of God's power and might, or whether it's staring up at the stars in the sky and seeing the vastness of space, seeing the the significance of stars and galaxies intersecting and moving and shifting and expanding, or whether it's the intricacy and the intimacy of looking into flowers and how they seem to convey a complexity that's just extraordinary. Maybe it's a finding math sequences that are naturally evident within trees and the landscape. Or maybe it's staring at the size and the scope of mountains. Whatever it is, the created order itself seems to speak into us a sense of God's majesty. God's presence, God's power. The created world seems to indicate that, yes, God does exist. And in being a creator himself, he holds and wields great and wondrous, awe inspiring power. The Bible would talk about this in numerous places but one such example that would literally write this out and try to explain to us comes from the book of Romans. This is written by a guy named Pastor Paul. He's in the, It would be in the New Testament or after the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and Pastor Paul is writing to some churches to help them understand the Christian faith and make the connection between their Jewish heritage and now the formation of a, of, of a following related, a movement related to Jesus Christ and in writing to these churches, specifically the church in Rome, he writes this to help connect some of the dots. He says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, the natural wonders of the world. And through everything that God has made, people can clearly see his invisible qualities. Namely, or more specifically, you can see, we can understand his eternal power the size, the scope, the majesty, and the divine nature at work and made evident in creation. All of this is to say that God is indeed mighty. And it should not surprise us that Isaiah would use that as his language to contextualize an understanding and relationship to a supernatural being. God is mighty in his power and we should be sitting in awe and wonder at his majesty. That all seems to actually, well, make sense. But frankly, it's actually not enough. It is not enough for humanity to observe God's power and might and simply say that yes, there's a supernatural being out there bigger than myself. That is not enough. It is not enough when you are sitting in the hospital room waiting for the diagnosis. God is powerful, God is mighty. So what? As I sit here working with doctors and nurses in uncertainty, in fear and intimidation and nervousness and anxiety, who cares if God is all-powerful? it doesn't seem to matter to the businessman who's trying to figure out how to keep his employees together and keep his business moving and he's unsure of what major decisions to make and to have the discernment to understand what steps should I take for financial security and success and for the provision of people's livelihoods how am I supposed to do this who cares if God is all powerful I got a decision to make here and that's wonderful and that's great that he's almighty and stuff but But how does that relate to what I've got to face today as I make the decision that will impact hundreds of lives? For the mom, the dad, who are moving and churning day in and day out, barely holding the house together. You don't remember the last time you've taken out the garbage, the dishes are piled up, and you're just trying to keep everybody alive in the house, you know? That's wonderful. That's great that God is all-powerful and He can do all of these amazing and incredible things that He made mountains all. That's wonderful that God can do all of those things. But honestly, it's not enough. It's not enough for us, for humanity, to simply know and understand God as Mighty. For while we can see and acknowledge and appreciate the scope and the capacity, the size of what God can do, we are actually far more invested, far more concerned, far more interested in understanding and seeing what God will do. It's wonderful to know what He can do, but we are far more concerned with what he will do. Our lives, our reality is much, much more dependent on the character of God. It is far less about the capacity of God and far more important to understand, know, and relate to the character, the person of God. God. Who is this God that wields such power and might? What will he do for me and my family, for this world, and the broken realities that we have to face day in and day out, the challenges that we've got to navigate and deal with, the weightiness of the human experience? We want to know the character of this mighty God. And this is precisely where Isaiah's contribution is so significant. When we think about Isaiah, and and Isaiah being this prophet, speaking for God, speaking about God, what he has to say, and the offering that he brings, the wisdom that he brings is so significant, knowing that he himself faces challenges, by the way, knowing that he himself, in the context in which he lives in Breeze, has to do with the same challenges that we face with. He dealt with starvation. He dealt with oppression. He dealt with depression. He dealt with the significant challenges that you and I face, disease and the heartbreak and the hope for a new future. He was dealing with literally, if you were here with us last week, we talked about the Assyrian Empire. An entire empire had set out and and were on the brink of making the Jewish people extinct, wiping them out. They had already succeeded in wiping out the entire northern kingdom, and now God's people themselves were on the brink of disappearing from the human narrative, I mean, you want to talk about facing problems, having some issues, and some concerns? Isaiah knows and he understands. Because the world was just as broken in Isaiah's day as it is broken in our day. And Isaiah chose to speak into that brokenness a message about God. And he gave us these lines. He gave us this wisdom. He gave us this insight saying and speaking to us that yes, we have a mighty God. But do you notice what he puts in immediate connection, in immediate proximity, right alongside when we hear the significance of the size and scope and the majesty of God? It is immediately tethered to knowing and understanding God As a father, he speaks to the character of who your mighty God is. And he chooses the word father. Father, God. Now, I am far from a perfect father. My kids will be the first to tell you that. But man, I'm a dad, and I, I love being a father. I love being a dad. I love my little girls. They run around the house. They drive me crazy, but they're a blast. They're so much fun. I'm excited for them. I love their humor. I love their smile. I love them figuring things out. I cheer them on. The other day, my my five-year-old read an entire book to me, and I was giving her high fives saying, Way to go. That's awesome. I was proud of her. I'm a father who cherishes their successes and helps them navigate the failures. When the kid fell off the potty, I was there to hold her when she cried. That's what a dad does. That's what a father does is therefore to love and to cherish, to nurture. I was participating in the experience of their creation and I am therefore also experiencing what it means to cultivate them, to grow them, to cherish them as they grow into the fullness of who God desired and designed them to be. And I'm thrilled, I am honored to be their father, to celebrate them, to have fun with them, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love hanging out with you guys, but there's no place I would rather be than in my sweatpants at home, chasing my girls around, having fun, laughing and playing. Y'all feel me? And that's because I'm a father. And that gives me, I've begun to realize as I am a father longer and longer, more and more, it gives me further insight to the ways in which God sees, views, and understands relates to us, his children. For in the same way, God looks at you, his sons, his daughters, and he's proud of you. He's excited for you. He loves your sense of humor. He's sometimes the only one who gets it. He loves to have fun with you and play with you. And he's cheering when, and helping you when, you when you succeed. He's there to be excited for you and with you. He's there when it's hard. I mean, being a father doesn't mean that all of a sudden your children don't face challenges. doesn't mean that your children don't have issues or, or things that they got to face. That's not, that's not what a father does. come with the father thing. What a father does is he's there for you in the midst of the challenge. He gives space for you to, to, to explore and to make decisions. And sometimes we make good ones and sometimes we make bad ones. Yes? Oh yeah. But a father is there to help you, guide you, encourage you, discipline you when you need it, and step in and intervene. Love you. Cherish you. That's that's your God. Your God is not only mighty, but when he looks at you and your life, he looks with the eyes and the heart of a father, a father who loves you and wants genuinely what's best for you. Now, having God as a father, as I mentioned before, doesn't mean that everything is hunky dory, okay. If you've hung around Christ Church for any amount of time, you hear one of our lines consistently is that being a Christian doesn't mean that all of a sudden you start seeing rainbows and butterflies. That's not how the whole Christian thing works. Having God as your father does not mean that all of a sudden God snaps his fingers and makes everything right in the world. This is not how it works. I am not a Christian apologetics. It's not my specialty. I'm a pastor. There are simply some things that are beyond my pay grade that I do not know and do not understand. If God has all this power and if God looks upon this world and he looks upon it with the eyes of a father and he sees suffering, why doesn't he just fix everything and make it all good? There is a part of me that simply can look at you in transparency and say, "I, I, I don't know. I don't know. That is beyond me. In fact, the prophet Isaiah will say later on in Isaiah chapter 55 that God's ways are higher than my ways. That's a nice way of saying I simply am limited in my capacity to understand the mightiness of God as connected to and tethered to him being a father. There are simply places and spaces within the spiritual realities that I tap out. I don't know. but but there are some things i do know and some things that i hold on to for as messy and as broken as this world is for as much as there is starvation shame guilt violence pornography car accidents Cancer. For as much as that is part of the broken fabric of our world, I believe that God genuinely is a father, even so. And in fact, as a father, he has done something above and beyond what I could do for myself. That is to say that God chose, because he is a father, to intervene in our world, your world, And he did it at a very specific point in time, in a very unique way. He did it at Christmas. For as much as there is brokenness and challenge in the context of Isaiah, for as much as there is brokenness in the fabric of creation being torn apart in today's world, God the Father chose a moment in time to intervene in such a way... As to face the problems and the issues that were even deeper than those surface level ones that we have to deal with. God began to take upon himself the challenge of dealing not just simply with cancer and disease. Not just with our, with our own frailties and, and brokenness and pain of the everyday. But he began to deal with the deeper layers of brokenness. The reasons for the manifestation of pain and suffering in our world. In Christmas, God gave us Jesus Christ. He gave his Son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world. And through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God the Father defeated the gods of power. The gods of money, the gods of lust. He defeated the God of death. There's a little old monk back in the 1500s named Martin Luther who used to sum it up by saying God defeated sin, death, and the devil. And he did that because he's a father. He exercised his power and his might along with his character of love and care and compassion. And he brings them together at Christmas in the person and in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, who had come into this world to love you and cherish you and save you. That's the God you have. One that is most certainly mighty and one that is a father. and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father and prince of peace amen good please close in prayer with me let's pray together gracious god mighty god father god we humbly come before you recognizing, knowing, and dealing with the pain, the hurt, and the brokenness of our world and our lives. God, we acknowledge that there is suffering, there is starvation, there is pain, there is hurt, there is disease, there is the brokenness that threads its way through our world and our lives. And yet we call upon you in faith and in hope and in trust. We humbly receive In Christmas, your definitive intervention, the moment when you broke the silence in such a way as to save and redeem and heal and promise us a future. As your sons and as your daughters, as your family, as your children, Father, We thank you that you would exercise your power for the well-being of your people. Grant us the humility of heart and the strength of faith to know you as both mighty God and as everlasting Father. Help us know that and experience that this Christmas season. We pray it all in your holy and precious Son's name, in Jesus' name, Amen.